0: There's nothing worse than being someone who enjoys art, yet you lack the artistic ability to create your own. Or maybe you spend hours in Target or other stores browsing through home decor and prints trying to find ones to perfectly fit into your home only to discover that the quality is poor and it's so mass produced that literally everyone has the exact same thing. So step away from those overproduced and often cheaply made prints and look to a talented woman and LGBTQ plus owned company that specializes in creating various forms of art including high quality prints, stickers, and even moon wreaths. Yes, we said moon wreaths, and they are beyond amazing. If you're looking to help support an individual instead of a large company and you're interested in obtaining unique, handcrafted art pieces and decor, check out our partner, August Moon Artworks. They're an up-and-coming art company that will no doubt wow you with the items that they've put out that are all crafted by a single, very talented individual. If this sounds like something you're interested in, head on over to Instagram and follow our friend at August Moon Artworks to see their work. And email AugustMoonArtworks at gmail.com if you're interested in obtaining any of these super awesome pieces. We promise you're not going to be disappointed.
1: Hey everybody! Welcome to Queer Fears.
2: My name's Kai. I'm Cassie. And I'm T. Hi guys. Hey. Hello. How's cool. life been? It's going well. It's going all
0: right. It's uh.
2: I'm. It's
0: going. It's going. We had a we had a, a <laughs> mess of a vet incident this week, but it's solved now. All is well. The boy's home, safe and sound. It's good. Yeah, I've had a
1: mess of a uh, being in a. Uh, not safe place adventure this week mm. as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's I mean it's not a big deal, but um I have more sound effects to add to the podcast this week. You're welcome. <laughs> we <laughs> perfect.
0: Our self-produced uh sound machine over here.
1: Yeah, so I have a fire alarm beeping in the background. It's too tall for any of us to reach it and there's no ladder here, so been going off for a few days (laughs) that's (laughs)
0: exciting love that love that for you guys
1: yeah i don't i don't have
2: that happening and i can't hear any beeping yet so maybe you're in luck it's only happened once since we started
0: but i was talking maybe we'll be okay i didn't hear it okay
2: i uh, my 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 dryer decided to stop working
0: Oh, Oh, no, that's rough. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah. Serenity was like, what are we going to do about the dryer? I was like, I guess you're going to learn how to hang your clothes outside on the lawn. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Plus you got money for a dryer, my dude.
2: (laughs) She was like, what? It's cold. It's getting cold. I was like, what do you think they did back in the day? didn't matter if it was cold.
0: Uh, Well, that sucks. I'm sorry. (sighs)
2: Yeah, I think it's going to be fine.
0: That's good. That's good. I hey, also your has been a little jerry-rigged, hasn't it? Then you have, like, a little tape thing on the door. Or, I don't know, Shh, don't
2: be telling people that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, you gotta do what you gotta do to save, save time on your dryer. Dryers are expensive. Yeah.
2: <laughs> they are expensive.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Everything's fine over here. <laughs> I'm painting my nails. Painting cool. them fall colors.
0: Very
1: nice. Fair it's nice. still fall, everybody. It is. It is
2: still fall. I uh, have decided, Kylie. Yes. That I want to get on this uh, crocheting or knitting business. Okay. I feel like it would be a good use of my hands.
1: Let's do it. I'm crocheting as we speak.
2: And then I definitely want my cheeps to have little little capes. I'm going to make
1: them capes.
0: Yes, you should, it. cause it's getting. Yeah, you might cold. get them in like a year, but <gasps> shut the
1: fuck up. <laughs> Love you. So
2: well, much. maybe <laughs> I will enlist Cynthia to knit some, and you can crochet some, and we'll see. It's the battle of the knit versus the crochet. Maybe I'll abandon yeah. my blanket
0: in favor of blanket. cheap cheaps.
2: Uh, not more than my cheaps need their
0: capes. Oh, that's fair. It is cool. How, how many blankets it's, like, you got? Really chilly outside.
2: Yeah, there's a nip in the air. A it's a little nipple
0: Alright, well, we got any more catching up to do? I don't think so. Um, think not much we... has happened this week. I have to yeah. get drug tested tomorrow. Ooh, oh, yeah. you've been Kylie's a good girl. neighbors smoke a lot of weed, and uh, their boss thinks that they're smoking weed.
1: Yeah, we live a in a duplex, and the, like, air vents, it, it always smells like weed over here, which is fine. I don't care what you do, but, like now they think we're doing it and we get drug tested for school because we're not allowed to be doing drugs while we're in this program and so i'm like i am not doing anything test me i don't care like i am not about to go down only five weeks until i graduate for these random people i don't know
0: next door all right i did i was a terrible parent yesterday and forgot to pick him up because i fell asleep and it felt so bad the entire night but he's here now as well as well. I picked him up at like 7 this morning. <laughs> <So>.
2: <laughs> well, at least he's there. I'm sure he was in good hands regardless. Well, maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, <laughs> based on our experience, I certainly hope so. But, uh, you know, anyway. It's fine. They didn't kill him, so we're good.
2: That's what matters.
0: All right. Well, I think from there we can get started.
2: All right, guys. It's that time. If you've got them, drink them. We are going to be uh, listening to T tell us the story of Larry Eiler today, so let's get boozy because I feel like this one's going to be a doozy.
0: Oh, it's it's going to be a doozy. So first and foremost, this episode uh, was recommended to us by one of our listeners, Keely. And so, Keely, this one's for you. She messaged us on Facebook and said uh, she was loving the podcast. And we appreciate that. And then she gave us a couple of recommendations for cases. And I'm tackling this one because I thought it was interesting and it's a lot. There's a lot that happened here. So let's, let's talk about Larry Eiler. Um, Larry Eiler is also known as the highway killer or the interstate killer. So if you've heard those names in the past, that's who we're talking about today. So let's get into it. So Larry Eiler was born on December 15th, 1952 to George Eiler and Shirley Kennedy. He grew up in Crawfordsville, Indiana, which is a small town of about 16,000 people, and it's approximately an hour west of Indianapolis. George, his father, was known to be an alcoholic, and he he was physically and emotionally abusive to both his wife and his kids. And so Larry was the youngest of four siblings, he was the baby of the family, and his parents divorced when he was two years old based on the, you know, alcoholism and his mom wanting to not be physically and emotionally abused. So fair. So after his parents separated, Larry's mom struggled quite a bit financially because she was now a single mom with with four kids. And so she worked at two jobs trying to provide for them. She worked as a waitress. She worked as a factory worker during the weekdays. And during the weekend, she would also sometimes um, take up shifts in a local bar. And so due to this kind of schedule of her working so much and trying to provide, a lot of the time, uh, Larry and his sisters were left basically with just babysitters, um, were left to the care of the two older siblings who at this time were 10. And they at one time were actually placed into foster families, similar to the Colin Ireland case last time, um, just because she couldn't keep up with finances because she was struggling so much, but she would still visit him very frequently while he was with these foster families. And so still a good mom, like his mom was a good mom, Um, just kind of dealt a a shitty hand of cards there. And so in 1957, his mom got remarried and this marriage was pretty short-lived. It lasted about a year before they divorced. And then his mom, again, remarried a third and a fourth time following this marriage. And so as I kind of previously mentioned here, his birth father, George, drank really heavily and was abusive. And in addition to that, Eiler's first two stepfathers were also alcoholics who would turn violent when they were inebriated. And so one of his stepfathers would actually place Eiler's head under scalding water as a form of discipline, which sounds fucking terrible. That's not a form so, of discipline. That's torture. That is torture, right? That's, that's going to fuck your kid up. That's not going to teach them right and wrong. As a result of this trauma, Eiler became really unruly. He displayed a lot of kind of erratic and stubborn behaviors to the point that when he was 10 years old his mom placed him in a home for unruly boys and at this point he was just super emotionally devastated by everything he had been going through and so he worked on convincing his mom to let him come home by just saying like i'll promise i'll be better i promise i'll be better so they let him come home and they gave him multiple psychological tests just to you know see well, how is all the shit that's happening to this kid affecting him, right? I mean, he's getting like waterboarded by scalding water, and has had like three different abusive fathers. So let's let's test him out, and see if like any of this stuff is impacting him. Um, yes. Spoiler alert: it does. <laughs> so, anywho so he was determined to be of average intelligence and the test also revealed that he was severely insecure and suffered from an extreme fear of separation and abandonment so all these things totally make sense based on his history here and so due to these test results which is odd because he was determined to be severely insecure and have extreme fear of separation and abandonment. But due to these test results, his mom sent him to a home for Catholic boys for six months. <laughs> so I guess uh, let me just going to help him with his abandonment issues. <laughs> totally fine. All right. And so throughout school, uh, Eiler was bullied for being really poor and for the fact that his parents were divorced, which is really rude. Like, I was poor and my parents were divorced. At least, I mean, I got bullied for other things, but no one made fun of me for those two things thank goodness cuz that's just rude you can't control that
2: what age was he or like what you, what like um time frame was this in though cuz that could make a difference cause
0: this was about when he was when he was about 10 years old or so right after he had kind of got placed in the rural the home for unruly boys and then he came home cuz he convinced his mom so he was about 10 months old or 10 years, 10 old, years old 10 years old which months. was <laughs> yeah.
2: about what time <laughs> frame
0: as far as like so he was born in 52, so this would be the early 60s. Okay,
2: so the 60s. So you can see that being um, something that happened probably more frequently because of that whole, like, nuclear family, you know, like. Oh, yeah, for sure. People didn't have divorced parents quite as much, so it was probably like, oh,
0: you're the kid without the dad, you know. Mm. Yeah, that's very much different than times today where it's, it's more accepted to not stay in toxic relationships. Yeah. So he was bullied throughout school, and his older sister, her name was Teresa, would often come to his defense during these times, so good on you, Teresa. And teachers always said that Eiler, he was a very likable guy, but he was super quiet, and he only had just kind of a select handful of like a few friends, which like, same bro. And so during his teen years, Eiler did discover that he was indeed gay, and he was open to his family about this. So he told his mom, he told his sisters, but he did not tell any of his friends, and he did struggle quite a bit with self-resentment. And while he was in high school he would date girls but none of those relationships ever really became physical he would just date them because that's what he was supposed to do based on what he was told and so he did confide in some of his closest friends about how he was struggling to accept the fact that he was indeed a gay man so now we're in high school and he ends up dropping out of high school during his senior year and he started kind of working different random jobs while he was studying to get his get which he did go on to earn he then enrolled in college But ultimately, he didn't earn his degree because his enrollment was kind of sporadic, like he would enroll and then leave, enroll and then leave. And so he ended up not actually earning the degree that he was going to college for. And so he ended up just finally leaving college and saying, clearly, I'm not going to earn this. And so he started working at a shoe store where he became acquainted with the gay community of Indianapolis. So remember, he was growing up just about an hour or so away from Indianapolis. And so he was, he ended up going and working at the shoe store in Indianapolis, and he got really acquainted there with the gay community. And he would engage in casual sex with a lot of various men. Now, a lot of these men, after the fact, obviously, would state that during these sexual encounters, Eiler would often look away from them and shout obscenities such as, quote, you bitch and you whore.
2: Hmm. So, psychologically,
0: there you're seeing kind of some development of some stuff here. Like, he's he they they kind of basically said that he probably wasn't picturing that he was having sex with the man because he had that that resentment, right? And so, that's why he was using these obscenities while they were having sex.
2: Ah, uh, yes. I desperately wanted to say you bitch, you slut, you whore from like the shout house or like the piano bar. I'm <laughs> yeah. I just I'm glad I did not outburst you took with the that. Fine time
0: to leave me Lucille. You bitch, you, bitch. you, you slut, slut, you whore. So maybe you he was whore. just
2: mad that Lucille left. No, I'm just kidding.
0: You know? <laughs> that would be great, but, you know. Yeah, that's that's not the case.
2: Unless his dad's name was Lucille just possible no
0: it was george oh yeah you might have mentioned that already
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> also totally feel that whole like enrolling in college not finishing enrolling in college not finishing you know right. what i'm just gonna go work at a shoe store i'm almost yeah, there it
0: was kind of funny because like as i was researching this case i found myself relating a lot to eiler and i was like oh gosh like why do i have so much in common with this guy <laughs> do so I need to, to be i'm not killing we what i said do i need to be worried no, no, no. Clearly, clearly, I'm not killing anybody and I have no desire to. But I was just like, man, we had that's a That's what married, they all like, say. Like, our mom got married like four times, maybe, right? Four? Yeah. I don't know. I think uh, so. Something and so like it's that. like, these things kind of happened in, in our lives too. Not that that's a bad thing. Like, I never wanted my mom to stay in a toxic relationship or anything. So I'm glad that she did divorce and remarry. But like, these things happened to us too. So it was just like, I found all these connections between us. It was weird. That's true. Anyway.
2: And I'm like one step away from just like, saying screw this i <laughs> work
0: at a shoe store because right i don't know if uni's for me man i don't know uni's not for me but i'm too deep in the game now <laughs> too so deep in the game
2: <laughs> i'm not gonna quit school guys i'm not gonna
0: i'm gonna keep no, going same. i debated it for a minute but kylie told me i had to keep going so we're still going <laughs> <laughs> i can't make you do shit that's true. You can't. I do. I, I'm going to do it for the better good of our future family.
2: I uh, I do want to throw in something. This is kind of random, but kind of not random. Um, I'm I'm studying for my exam tomorrow that I have to take for my juvenile delinquency class, which I feel like I'm always mm-hmm. taking an exam for that class. I think we've talked <laughs> about this several times. Uh, we have too. <laughs> and so the most recent chapter I was like looking up on over again uh, is talking about gender roles and uh delinquency Mm -hmm. and it was talking about um a gene that is shared between fathers and daughters that is linked to more like unladylike behavior (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) it's okay are you dying are you okay it was it's called like a short ar gene And so Mm -hmm. it's been linked that uh, uh, fathers who abandon their families have this short AR gene and their daughters who it's passed on to tend to um, go through like puberty earlier in life. They tend to be a little bit more promiscuous as they get older and they have shitty relationships throughout their life they have this gene they've they've studied it and there's this link between this ar gene with dads that abandon their their families and their daughters that they pass it along to so thank you shitty dad for leaving <laughs> but also giving me <laughs> this awesome gene
0: <laughs> it tells me fuck the world i can do what i want <laughs> right yeah that's crazy so, I, I know that that's cool that's interesting yeah anyway. very
2: interesting and it, i just i like, mean, thought not about cool it.
0: That dads are abandoning their families but
2: no not at all and that's probably why it made me think about it because i was just reading it and then you're talking and then, like his dad left the family so it just like popped into my gotcha. head but uh it doesn't really relate to him specifically because he's a dude but still popped in my head i found it interesting if i found it interesting maybe somebody else finds it interesting
0: Oh, I'm sure they do. We've gotten comments that people like your psychological uh, contributions to this podcast.
2: Well, I'm going to keep so. it coming, guys. At least I can do something with that education I got.
0: <laughs> there you go. Hell yeah, brother.
1: Hell yeah, Also, Also, um, side note, we had a little bit of a storm here today, so my throat's feeling a little scratchy-scratchy, so I'm doing a little coffee-coffee. And I'm sorry
2: about it. We are are not surprised that you have uh, yet another sound effect to provide. You are our sound person.
0: She's the soundboard. She's the soundboard. um, My computer's trying to get me to update Apple software right now, and I'm trying to record a podcast. Apple, go away.
2: All right. Sorry. We totally cut you off. That was was a palate cleanser way too soon, I feel like. We
1: were barely even getting into it.
0: I mean, actually, we're almost there, so it was kind of perfect timing cool all right and so we're almost to the meat here. of it is that what you're saying we're getting there we're getting, getting
2: to the meat all
0: right and so a uh, few more things here about eiler so in the 70s mm-hmm. eiler did become well known in the leather community which we talked about this during our last episode he was described as a good looking laid-back guy he was you know i mean he's not my type obviously but he wasn't a bad looking guy he wait would he have been my guy? type no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he looked like your standard like '80s gay man Uh he had, like a mustache, short brown hair. Like, wasn't an unattractive guy, but you know, wouldn't be your type. Uh, and gotcha. so. He was described as good-looking laid-back guy however some of his sexual partners during this time did state that he had a sadistic side and he had a violent temper that would come out during his encounters with them so in some cases he would extensively beat his partners and also inflict superficial knife wounds on them with or without consent Oops. so um, that's something you need to consent to if uh, you want to bring a knife into the bedroom i think i and agree these yeah. partners were not. So um, there you go. So we kind of see some stuff developing here. So during this time, he's left the shoe store now, and he's working as a house painter. And he would often pick up men by wearing, like, Marine Corps shirts, even though, like, he had never been in the military. He just knew it would make him look attractive if he was a military man. Wow. Military. So stolen valor. Marine Corps shirts. Right? And so he would just, like, get them at thrift stores and stuff, and then he would wear them, and he would help pick up men with that way. Anyway. So during this time, he also lived with a man by the name of Robert David Little on Terre Haute. It's like a, well, not on Terre, in Terre Haute, which is like a little community. Um, Robert David Little was also gay. And so keep that name in mind because Robert's going to come into play quite a bit during this story. And so they met while they were at Indiana State University. So while he was in college, he was working as like a... Um, library kind of assistant guy and so he had met Robert David Little because Robert David Little was like the university librarian scientist person professor and so they ended up meeting and his roommate Little was super shy and while they they stayed there they only shared a platonic relationship they never like got anything more than that but Eiler would often bring men home and that those men would have like sex with both himself and his roommate but like not together just like separately if that makes sense so wait say that again he would basically, like, pick up men, and he would bring them home, and, like, those men would end up sleeping with Eiler and also Robert David Little. But not together. But not, like, at the same time, because gotcha. David, or David Little and Eiler basically just shared a platonic relationship. They never really got physical.
2: But they shared partners,
0: too. But they shared partners, ah. yes. That's a good way to put it. They shared partners, but not each other. <laughs> Ooh, gotcha. All right. So this is where things start to get dark. So it's August 3rd, 1978. And a young man, 19 years old, named Craig Long, was out for the night on 7th Street in Terre Haute. And I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, so I'm sorry, but that's how I'm going to pronounce it. So it is what it is. (laughs) So it was the late 70s, early 80s. So as many people did during this time, Craig was hitchhiking. And he was picked up by Eiler, who came on to this man. And Craig tried to leave the vehicle as a result of this. And Eiler drew a knife pressed it to Craig's chest. In this moment, Craig told Eiler, he said, hey man, like, I have no money. And Eiler just said, quote, it's not your money I want. I'm not after your money. So at this point, Eiler tells Craig to undress while he handcuffs him and bounds his ankles. And he told him to get in the back of his truck. Craig tried to run away. Of course, he was bound. So he was trying to run away, but he he was bound. So he was like hobbling away, essentially, while Eiler was also getting undressed. And so Eiler, of course, was like, no, man, you're not going anywhere. So he runs after Craig, who obviously Craig is running a lot slower because he's bound. And while he's running after Craig, Craig turns around back at Eiler and shouts, you queer. This obviously angered Eiler because he's got all this homosexual resentment going on. And so since he was struggling with his own self-acceptance, that phrase just really ticked him off. And he proceeded to stab Craig in the chest. This stab wound went through Craig's lung. And Craig fell down to the ground, pretending to be dead, in hopes that this would stop his attacker from further action. So Eiler leaves the scene, and Craig then essentially hobbles over to a nearby neighborhood, which, like, also a badass, because this guy just got pierced in the fucking lung. (laughs) Yeah, and And he he was,
2: like, smart enough to, like, be like, you know what, I'm not dying right now from this. Act dead. Don't scream and act crazy. Like, you might get stabbed about 50 more times.
0: Exactly. You know, I would, I no, cannot say
2: I would have done the same thing. I probably would have been flailing around like a fish and screaming my head off and not thinking. Yeah, no. Lay there still, exactly. pretend I'm dead, he'll go away.
0: Exactly. Like, that's some quick thinking. And I honestly don't know if I would have that quick thinking either. But, yeah. So, kudos to this dude. So, he hobbles over to a nearby neighborhood. He knocks on the door and he's just screaming, like, hey, help. And so... Police come, they arrive, but interesting enough, as the police come, guess who else shows up? Our oh, good buddy no. Eiler. Oh no. And of course.
1: So Is Eiler, it his like, house? This
0: guy. It's not his house. He just knocked on a random house to ask for help, but essentially Eiler had been watching him hobble away, and so Eiler shows up to this house, and he knocks on the- or not he knocks on the, he shows up to the house, and he tells the cops, he said, hey- I didn't mean to stab him it was an accident and so he gives the cops the key to the handcuffs that are still on Craig but despite this testimony he is arrested that night because he stabbed this guy well yeah and how <laughs> so did you accidentally
2: bound him, <laughs> him and stab him by accident like what okay exactly
0: right like all this was just accidentally happened okay and so but it's weird like he followed this guy and it was like hey cops just kidding like anyway And so the person that wrote the book that I read about this essentially said that this case Mm. kind of taught uh, Eiler that he couldn't leave people alive, that he had to kill them. So this Ah, was kind of the the point where his mentality changed because he he didn't kill this guy or made sure he was dead. He let him go, and and then he got arrested that night. Uh. So he gets arrested. Police end up searching his truck that night, and they do find, like, some sketchy things. They find a hunting knife. They find a whip. They find a butcher's knife. They find handcuffs. They find tear gas, and they find a sword—a oh, sword, a fucking sword. <laughs> so, anyway, following this incident, Eiler was charged with aggravated battery, and he did—he uh, ended up pleading guilty to this. His bond was set at 10k, and his friends ended up raising that and bailing him out on August 23rd. At the same time, as all this is happening. Eiler's lawyers then offered Craig Long, the guy who was in this attack, a check from our good friend Robert David Little, Eiler's roommate, in exchange for him keeping quiet and not pressing charges on Eiler. Long accepts this deal. He says, all right, cool. And honestly, this check was like for $2,500. It was not a lot. Oh, I mean, hell A little no. bit more back in the 80s, but like it's still not significant enough to like be like, I'm not going to press charge on the guy who fucking stabbed me in the lung i would still yeah. press charges so craig i would much too. as i love you kudos to you you shouldn't have taken that check Mm-mm. anyway so um ends up not pressing charge so he keeps quiet end up not pressing charges and eiler then changes his plea oh my goodness sorry now my computer wants to restart for updates i'm trying to record a podcast stop it okay so long accepts and eiler changes his plea to not guilty. He ended up being acquitted of all charges on November 13th for this attack and ended up just being fined $43 for his court cost involved with this attack. Damn. Wow. So now he's a free man. Back out on the streets. Like, he,
1: he literally, I mean, obviously we know he's already a murderer. But, like, mm-hmm. he stabbed someone.
0: Yeah, so this was essentially his first attempted murder, but he didn't actually murder him. And it was the point that he learned, well, I need to actually murder them or else I'm going to get caught. Yeah taught him something but like
2: dude that other guy don't don't take twenty five hundred dollars people don't do it because then he goes on to be a murderer
0: don't do
1: it he
2: just he just let this dude walk away because he wanted twenty five hundred dollars and to keep his mouth shut
1: and now um, other people are gonna get murdered because of it not that Mm. like i blame him but yeah no
0: not victim blaming uh, i I don't know what his financial situation was or something like maybe he desperately needed that money and so you know i I, maybe we don't know but still i just feel like you know try not to just let murderers go free or someone who attempted to murder you like clearly he was trying to stab you in the lung yeah my dude I'm gonna take a second away from that real quick and just talk a little bit more right before because this happened in between um, 1978 and when the murders actually started. And so it just kind of explains a little bit more of Eiler's psyche. And so in 1981, so this is three years after this attempted murder on Craig Long, Eiler meets a 20-year-old married man by the name of John Dobrovolskis. And I may not have pronounced that right, but hopefully that's close. I'm just gonna call him John. So. John was a part of the gay community as well, but John was married and had a wife. Interestingly enough, his wife, her name was Sally, knew about and accepted that John was gay. And she would agree to house whatever lover John had at the time as long as that lover agreed to pay one-third of the total rent. So she worked out a little deal there, I guess. Both Eiler and John were sadomasochists, and they often had very aggressive sex involving binding and obscene language being shouted at each other. And both parties basically considered their relationship to be permanent, even though neither one were truly monogamous. They both slept with many other people. But Eiler also would constantly, like, desire the reassurance that John didn't have other lovers outside of Eiler. So taking it back to that childhood psychological test, about the abandonment separation issues, even though he had confirmed that they weren't, like, exclusive, he still wanted to be reassured constantly that John didn't have other lovers. Hmm. But... John did have other lovers, and so at times arguments would break out, and John would actually abuse Eiler, and Eiler would just not fight back. So he would just kind of take it. Yeah, Yeah, very interesting. And so while Eiler primarily worked as a house painter during this time, he also worked as a liquor store clerk in Indiana. And so remember, he's working as a house painter in Illinois. He also works as a store clerk in Indiana. So he would travel frequently between Illinois and Indiana, and he would stay at uh, Robert David Little's house. And so now I'm going to get into kind of some of the actual murders. I'm going to preface this with saying, and, I, and this is going to be just some, some background information here. I'm not going to go through every single victim, simply because there were a minimum of 21 of them, not including the one attempted murder, and we would be here all night if I described every single one. So for this portion, I'm just going to generalize and discuss the murders as a whole, while only talking about some specific cases. However, I do plan to list out each victim on our blog or our social media post. So just out of respect for the victims, they will be announced and and brought attention to on our website. But for the sake of this episode, I'm not going to go through every single one.
1: It's understandable.
0: So we didn't start out as podcast masters. Granted, we're getting pretty close. But there is a platform out there that lucky for you and for us, host a multitude of videos that will help you master whatever skill you're hoping to master. So check out this week's sponsor, Skillshare.com. If you ever wanted to study videography, photography, cooking, a new language, all of these things can be found on Skillshare.com in very short and easy to understand videos that also offer entire lessons plans that are going to help you master the skills that you want to master. So don't just sit back. And stay stagnant in your knowledge and your learning and your abilities. Get started on what you want to get started today. Learn that new language. Cook that new recipe. Travel to that new place. Start that podcast. Start that video company. Take that photography lesson and go out and give people the photos they've been looking for. All of this can be accomplished if you just check out Skillshare.com. So head on over to our website, Queer Fears Podcast. Com and check out the tab labeled affiliate links to see all of our links, including the one to Skillshare.com. And when you click that link, you'll get a couple of options. The first one will be a free trial for 30 days. So you'll be able to check out all of the content that's on Skillshare.com and learn any lesson that you want within the next month. How freaking awesome is that? If you are up for that though, and you need a little bit longer, totally understand. We need a little bit longer to learn how to do this podcast thing. Heck, we're still learning. So if you want a full year-long membership, use our link and you'll get 40% off of a year-long membership to Skillshare. So head on over to queerfearspodcast.com, click on the affiliate links tab, and check out our link to skillshare.com and get started on what you truly want to get started on. As a brief kind of overview here real quick before we get into some of the Specific murders. Let's get a little image about what we're dealing with here um, since I said I'm going to talk about it in a general sense. So, Eiler was an active serial killer between the years of 1982 and 1984. His primary method of murder involved restraining his victims and then violently stabbing them to death, mostly in the chest and abdomen. He was known to attack victims that had been subdued by alcohol or a sedative, and many of his victims were disemboweled after they were killed, and at least four of his victims were dismembered. So this is a monster of a man we're dealing with, guys. Uh So typically, he would place his victims along major interstate highways, which resulted in him also being named the highway killer or the interstate killer. Also, his victims that have been placed along these highways were mostly found with their pants and underwear pulled down to their ankles, but none of them really exhibited any signs of sexual assault. There were a couple, but a lot of the time they had been so decayed by the time they were found that they couldn't actually determine if sexual assault occurred. So that's just a kind of a brief overview since I said that I was not going to go into through every specific one. That's what we're dealing with. Here. So remember that Larry attempted murder in 1978. It's now four years later in 1982, and a man by the name of Jay Reynolds is found brutally stabbed to death just outside of Lexington, Kentucky. While at the time it was not known that Eiler was involved, Jay would become the first of many victims over the course of the next two years. Throughout the next nine months, two more victims would be found, including a 14 year old who had been strangled and a 19 year old who had been stabbed 32 times, with four of those wounds being inflicted to his head.
1: That's so many. Oh, it's so many.
0: During this time, police weren't yet really making connections between these murders, which, honestly, it's understandable. I'm not blaming them. Eiler was operating across a very large area, so similar to how we talked about in the Colin Ireland case, where, like, they were working in different precincts and stuff, and they weren't really working together, per se. Same thing here. He was working between two different states. So, in all honesty, not going to be upset that the cops weren't connecting these yet, because they were working in completely different precincts and completely different states. But at this point in time, police had also already talked to two survivors of Eiler, including the attempted murder of Craig Long in 1978 and another individual by the name of Craig Townsend, who had been attacked by Eiler in November of 1982, but managed to escape and make it to the hospital where he ran off before police could fully investigate. Not sure why you ran away from the hospital, but also let's give it up for the Craigs for surviving this monster. I don't know what like weird coincidence they both were named Craig and they <laughs> ended up surviving this guy. Shout out to so. Craig. Did it? <laughs> Shout out
2: to Craigs. Did it? Uh, s- specify um how that other Craig got away, or was it just like so?
0: He got. Away. Uh, it basically just said that he had been lured into a car and then um, he had been bound and similar kind of thing, but he ended up similar to Craig running off and he was not actually he was injured based on like the bounding and the beating and stuff but he ended up kind of just running away and he ended he ended up getting out of his restraints and so he was actually able to run unlike craig long gotcha. and he ended up running to the hospital to get treatment for them but then when the police showed up to talk to him and investigate him he ran out of the hospital uh so and and gotcha. you'll see kind of as these as we go on some of these victims and like their jobs that may be why I don't have a confirmation on Craig and what his job was. And so I don't know if that's the case, but as we go through this, we'll talk about what some of the victims did for a living. And that may be why essentially he ran off because he didn't want to be investigated by police.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, and also um, it is not unheard of for guys to not want to tell people that something bad happened to them. Cause if there was some sort of sexual stuff that happened and he wasn't even gay, he wouldn't want people to know that, that something sexual had happened to him by another man, because that does happen a lot. That's why, like, rape cases, like, man-on-man rape cases, hardly ever get reported, because guys, they have, like, they're, no offense to guys, but they do tend to have a, a bigger ego and pride, and they don't want to be like, oh, I got raped, like, demasculated or whatever, so... That happens a lot, yeah. too. So if something did happen to him sexual, maybe that's part of the reason as well that he ran off.
0: Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Um, again, I didn't it didn't state anything about why he necessarily ran off, but I, I would speculate that's probably the case, too. Um, I was thinking more of like along the lines of his career based on some of the other victims, but definitely makes sense that there would be that side of it as well, especially during like the 80s, because this is the same point in time. Um, we're in 1978 here, early 80s, when the AIDS pandemic is going on and being gay is looked really, really down upon. And so definitely could see him running off simply for the fact that he didn't want to be listed as a gay man during this current like cultural climate going on in the early 80s. Yeah. For sure. For sure. For sure. Right. <laughs> for sure. All right. So... After we have our two Craigs that we just discussed, so police had already talked to two survivors of Isler. Granted, they hadn't connected that they were talking to survivors of Isler yet, but this trend ends up pretty much continuing on. And so police just continue to find bodies spread across the interstate throughout the Midwest and between Illinois and Indiana, uh, most of them being brutally stabbed and or strangled. He did strangle a few actually as well. And the number of wounds practically always reached into the teens, with some crossing into thirty or more, as we mentioned in our previous case with the thirty-two wounds. And they were often inflicted to the abdomen, heads, and necks. In some cases, the stabbings had been so brutal that the victims were essentially disemboweled. And these mur- so these murders were like highly aggressive they were rage filled like this guy was mad when he was doing this
1: yeah and i mean coming from somebody who's (laughs) listened to a lot of podcasts you come to realize in terms of like stabbing cases that like it to stab someone 32 times like like you said t you you have to have a lot of rage but like especially through like the head and the neck like Maybe not the neck so much, but the head. It's, like, just
0: bone. Yeah, exactly. And in the the documentary I watched about this, there was actually, they were talking about one of the bodies that were found, that was found, and they actually saw, like, marks on the victim's bones because he had stabbed them so hard that he was going into bone and and making incisions into bone as well. Like, it was brutal anger rage filled murder going on here upon finding one of the victims and conducting an autopsy police determined and this again is just going to be indication of how incredibly brutal and angry these murders were they found that the knife used in that particular stabbing was estimated to be approximately 8 to 12 inches so pretty significant knife pretty significant knife but here's the catcher even though it was an 8 to 12 inch knife That knife had been driven into the victim's body 15 inches. (gasps) And the wound extended from his groin up his body. So it was an up motion that he was stabbing. But 15 inches. So he went into with the handle of this knife. That's how incredibly rage-filled this murder was. That he was stabbing so aggressively, he drove it 15 inches into this victim's body.
1: That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Like, I can't imagine, like, the force. And this was the same victim that I just mentioned where they had found... Fragments of bone that had chipped off and had gotten to the body cavity and and lacerations on the bone from how aggressively he was being stabbed.
1: Well, yeah, if you're being stabbed freaking 15 inches into
0: your body.
2: Do we know who that victim was?
0: We do. So they found this wound that was extended from his growing up his body. And also, to add real quick before I identify him, his right hand was also cut off and so this was kind of one of the one of the few cases there were like four different ones that they had found dismembered this is one of the ones they considered to be dismembered because they cut off or Eiler cut off his right hand so they identified this victim based on uh, fingerprints from the other hand that was still attached to his body and they identified him as Gustavo Herrera so Gustavo Herrera had actually just immigrated with his family to the US and Gustavo had a lot of different girlfriends but he also had a secret lifestyle And his secret lifestyle was that he worked as a hustler at gay bars. And so essentially he would go into gay bars, he would hang out, he would wait for some gay man to come up for him, and then he would offer them sex to get paid. So essentially a prostitute, but because it was in the gay community and he was a male, they called them hustlers. And so this is what I meant when I was talking about kind of the work that some of these victims did, which also could lay back to why Craig Townsend ran out of the hospital because he may have been a hustler, which isn't exactly legal form of work here in the States. Right.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. I see.
0: So, uh, at this time, police departments still like, weren't necessarily communicating with each other, much like the Colin Ireland case. Again, they were all spread over a very large area, but I will give it to them that each individual department was investigating him. They just weren't really connecting that they had a cross state killer yet. And so a little bit different than our other cases where we talked a lot about the police just kind of brushing off what was going on. They weren't necessarily brushing these off. They were looking. They were investigating. But they just weren't having much luck because it was just spread over such a wide area between literally like Indianapolis and Chicago along the interstate. And so they weren't, the police departments weren't even mentioning they had victims in in all these areas yet. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that they were struggling to kind of make this happen. But they were investigating. Granted, we'll talk a little bit in a minute about some of their failures, but as long as, as far as, like, the actual investigating and not brushing off the murders, they were doing a much better job than the previous cases we've talked about. So, this changed, though, as far as their communication and them talking to each other. When Dan... Sorry. good. It's okay. So, this changed when Daniel McNeve, who was a 21-year-old street hustler, so, again, we're dealing with the street hustler, was discovered in a field in Indiana. He had been stabbed 27 times, with one wound being so deep that his small intestines protruded from his abdomen. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Again, rage-filled, just like pure anger going on in these killings.
2: Hey. So, be- go ahead. Question. Um, Did we discuss what ended up happening with him and his like, boyfriend that was married. So, at
0: this point in time, they they all still, it's it's kind of ongoing, and so that relationship with John continued through all of this, and Colin, or not Colin, wow, flashback to last episode, Larry... (laughs) Euler would actually stay at different areas because they lived in different towns and so depending on where he was and what current like job he was working because he worked two jobs across the states and so if he was in one place he would stay with like robert david little if he was in the other place he would stay with john and his wife and john and his wife had kids so they would all stay there together and he would pay rent they would house him there That's so, so freaking weird it's, it's kind of weird, yeah. And so, the relationship was ongoing; it didn't really stop. I mentioned it earlier, um, and he, John doesn't really come back up. But John is kind of a, a continuation throughout this whole thing. He's always around Isler. They, they he he stays with them from time to time when he's not staying with Robert, David, Little, and, and vice versa. Do they ever okay. talk about like them suspecting
1: or they like didn't, actually no. knowing?
0: Not not from the John perspective, or at least not what I saw. Not to say that the sources aren't out there. Um, I used kind of two main sources for this. I guess three main sources for this. And they didn't really mention that John was suspicious or anything. But you'll see later, again, because we talked about Robert David Little. And Robert David Little has already involved himself in this by offering the check to Craig Long back yeah. in 1978. And so he's kind of, hmm, you know, Question. might be a little sketch. <laughs> But John, on the other hand, isn't really mentioned as ever being kind of suspicious about anything, or being involved with anything other than being one of Eiler's like longtime lovers that he continues on throughout his life. Gotcha.
2: Okay, I got you. I just didn't know if he was gonna end up being like a victim or something because yeah. he was seeing other people, and you know that made him upset and stuff, and he was beating him. Uh, so I just didn't know. But he's still uh, alive, so you. he stays alive, and he just just keeps having a relationship with them. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's 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 a weird, weird relationship between his wife and everything. But like, OK, yeah, Stay together for the kids, I guess. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, I got you now. All right.
0: I got you We're on the same page. Cool. And so they find uh, Daniel McNeve's body again. He stabbed brutally, basically disemboweled. And because this county this this happened in kind of a small town in Indiana. And this county specifically did not have a forensic pathologist at the time. And so they bring the body in, but they have no one that's able to, that's educated enough to be able to look at this and say, and say what happened and, and do an autopsy and investigate it. So what they end up doing is they take Daniel's body and they send it to a different hospital in a different county. And so this is important because this is the point where the connections start getting made. Because that body got sent to a different hospital, that hospital and that, um, that precinct and that community or whatever, had already seen victims similar to this. And so when this one came in from a different area, they were like, oh, crap, this isn't just happening in our area. This is happening in other places, too. So at this point, police start putting out notices to other police departments in the area saying, we found this victim, we found this victim. They start talking and communicating. And so they start learning that they basically have a killer operating in multiple states along these highways, there also, at this point in time, were a couple of John Doe's people that they were not able to identify. And they actually had a psychologist and artist that worked at a university come in who was kind of skilled in reconstructing um, skeletons and heads and stuff, which is kind of a really cool job. Like, I just know how to reconstruct things. That's Like, based dope. off
1: of their structures, they can yeah, tell like, like, what they like, look like with, like, skin and stuff?
0: Yeah, exactly. So based off of like, because um, the the some of the stuff that they found had been there for a while, like over winter and everything, and so they had decayed and they mm-hmm. were skeletal remains. And so she was able to kind of look at those skeletal remains and kind of come up with a general what she thought they would have looked like as like a complete person, basically before they died.
1: Yeah, so so we love a
0: smart woman. Yeah, we do. Heck yeah. And so she creates some like images of some men. They're not super great. I'll post a couple. Um, They're not great, but they're decent enough. I mean, she was working from skeletal remains, so she did a great job for what she was given. And so they start putting out these images saying, like, hey, we found this person. We haven't identified him yet. They start blasting this out to the area. They also blast out the people they did identify, um, such as Gustavo Herrera. And they're, they're making more news about all of these things and kind of talking about it and, and putting it out in different areas, both in Illinois and in Indiana. And so at this point, they, they form a coordinated task force between all the different police departments, allowing them to kind of start communicating and connecting all of their findings and everything. So this ends up backtracking because one police department says, hey, yeah, back in 1982, we found this guy named Jay Reynolds dead in a field. And then the other police department was like, oh, yeah, well, we found this guy dead in this year. And so now they're laying out this timeline of all these victims that they've been finding over the past couple of years along these highways. And they're connecting all the dots and they're saying, man, this has got to be the same guy. This also gets blown up because shortly after they form this task force, a man by the name of Thomas Henderson. So Thomas Henderson phones into the police and states that he had been a former lover of a man named Larry Eiler. And they're like, and and he's on the phone with them and he says, Hey, you guys should really look into this guy named Larry Eiler. I'm hearing on the news that you guys are finding a bunch of victims strewn out across the interstate. They have stab wounds. And way back in the day, I had a lover named Larry Eiler, and he was arrested in 1978 for, quote, some sort of stabbing of a hitchhiker.
1: Hmm.
0: So he's talking about Craig Long back in 1978. Right. And so I guess he he knew that even though Eiler had been acquitted and released and everything that he was arrested for this. So he calls in the cops and he says, this is a little suspicious. You guys should look into him. So, at this point in time, they don't have any kind of solid evidence. All of the evidence they really have is circumstantial at this point. So, they place him under partial surveillance because they don't have enough evidence to warrant putting him under full police surveillance at this point. Because they can't actually prove, they haven't found DNA, fingerprints, any of that, to actually be able to prove that he was at all of these areas. But, they're suspicious. So, they put him under partial surveillance. While under partial surveillance, which this is just mind-blowing to me. It's very interesting because I I don't know to the extent of what their partial surveillance, like what time frame they were watching him in or anything (laughs) like that. But uh, while under partial surveillance, police found bodies of approximately nine more victims. Holy crap. And this is like while he was being like watched. That's crazy. And Exactly, yeah. And some of these were victims that had already been... Killed prior to them starting to investigate them, but some of them were also like fresh, that had only been dead for twelve hours or so when they found him. So oh it's very, goodness. it's it's interesting because it, clearly he was still like killing. It just went on like this. a kill
1: spree. He was yeah. very
2: busy. Twenty-one people in a two-year period. A, yeah, like talk. That's geez, prolific. That that's is crazy. That is crazy. We're All we're right, um so. most of the victims male prostitutes or were some of them hitchhikers was it just kind of random, like?
0: so it was random as far as like what they did but they were all gay men okay because even the hitchhikers he would pick them up whenever they were like in gay areas looking oh, okay. for a ride home or whatever and so he would always just kind of drive around and and hang out in these gay communities and gay neighborhoods and he would pick up people there and so some of them were gay hustlers some of them were hitchhikers they were all considered gay men though gotcha um, or at least Eiler believed that they were gay men. And right. so they, like, were in the neighborhood or something, and he thought they looked gay, and so he targeted them. So he was, his intention was to kill gay men. Gotcha. gotcha. All right, so by this time, after, after, you know, nine more victims are found during their partial surveillance, cops are like, mm, maybe we should put him under full surveillance. Maybe we so. Got <laughs> We've got bodies still showing up, so clearly our partial watching of him... Is not stopping this dude, so let's uh, put eyes on him like 24/7 and see what the hell's going on.
1: They're finding so much just
0: with partial that they're like, hmm, maybe. we If you've been listening to our podcast this. for a little bit, you probably heard the episode where I talked about butterflies and planet Earth and how humans are pretty much just killing everything. And I, you may have picked up on, am an environmentalist. But Cassie and Kylie share these similar views. It's one of the reasons why we get along so well so if you are interested in becoming a slightly better human and doing your part for this world then you might be interested in picking up some sustainable gear if that's the case check out this week's sponsor earthhero.com EarthHero is essentially your one-stop shop for all things sustainable everything that goes through them is incredibly vetted to make sure that it actually meets environmental standard quality we have certified B corporations on this website earth hero itself is a certified carbon neutral company it's just a great place to go if you're looking to obtain reusable water bottles reusable lunch boxes beeswax wraps anything you can think of that's going to make your life more sustainable you can probably find it on earthhero.com and if that sounds like something you're into then head on over to queerfearspodcast.com Click on the tab labeled affiliate links and use our link to go to earthhero.com. By doing this, you'll help support our podcast, but you'll also obtain some freaking awesome gear that's going to support some amazing companies that are doing great things for this planet way more than you know homie who just flew to space for no particular reason just for kicks and giggles and it has millions of dollars it could probably solve all of the problems in our planet but he just chooses not to so let's not be like him let's be like ourselves let's take care of this planet and let's head on over to earthhero.com by going to queerfearspodcast.com and checking out the affiliate links tab to access our specific link for earthhero.com you're going to help support us you're going to help support yourself and you're going to help support planet earth And so they end up tracking Craig Townsend. Craig Townsend's the guy who ran out of the hospital that survived one of these attacks. And he was found and they basically were like, hey, Craig, look, we're looking at some people that could be related to your case too. I know we didn't get to investigate you earlier, but we need you to look at a lineup of people. We're going to hand you out some photographs. We need you to look at these photographs and tell us if any of these are your attacker. And so they show him some photographs of Eiler and Townsend's like, yeah that's the guy so now they have kind of evidence basically saying that he was involved in this potential murder that he ended up escaping and so another survivor at the same time which i'm assuming might have been uh craig long because those were really the main two survivors i saw but it didn't actually specify like it just said another survivor so he could have attacked other people i guess but those were the two that were kind of noted in most of my sources and so another survivor at the same time chimes in and they they give a similar testimony where they're just like yep that's him when they look at photos so so everyone's like yeah you guys are stupid yeah exactly so they're like this is the guy But, at the same time, even though they have these positive, like, identifications, it's still, like, circumstantial evidence at this point, and it's not fully complete, because they need, like, hard-proof, like, murder weapons tied with blood of the victims, they need fingerprints, they need something to nail this guy down, right? Or literally, like, seeing him kill somebody, or, like, finding something in his apartment to be able to say a thousand percent it was him. We can't necessarily just trust, like, someone identifying him, even though that leads us in the right direction, but it's still circumstantial at that point. It's, he said, it's hearsay. Yeah. Which
2: gave him more of a reason to put him on full surveillance, I'm sure.
0: Exactly. Like right. he backed him
2: up more to be able to be like, hey, boss, I think we need to put this dude on full surveillance. Yeah,
0: exactly. And so he gets put under constant surveillance. And at this point in time, he's kind of in the Chicago area. And Eiler's aware that he's under constant surveillance. And so he basically files a civil suit Against the sheriff's office, basically saying that they are mounting psychological warfare on him <laughs> to That's unhinge his oh. mind. So he's basically like, "You guys are watching me all the time, and you're making me crazy. So I'm gonna file a lawsuit against you." He tries <laughs> to file this claim for half a million dollars, claiming that they're like psychologically abusing him by surveying him because he's had multiple people say that they he stabbed them, and they've had like so many bodies show up that he possibly could be tied to. Anyway, okay, Eiler. Mm. <laughs> and so um, this notion is denied. They say, fuck you, Eiler. We're not I waving psychological so. warfare on you. You are a potential murderer. So screw you. Go home. And so he leaves the courtroom and goes about his life. And right after this kind of happened, they discovered a body of a victim named Ralph Kalis. And Ralph Calise kind of changed the course <coughs> of this murder a little bit. And so, basically, uh, Ralph Calise was discovered under kind of, like, brush and stuff. Because he wasn't—he didn't really, like, hide the bodies. He would put them on the side of the interstate and basically just, like, cover them up with sticks. And, like, some leaves. And leave them that way. Right. So he wasn't, like, burying them or throwing them in lakes or anything like that. Like, they were pretty easy to discover. They were just on the side of the road covered up by, like, brush. And so they find um, they find Ralph Khalees and they end up identifying him and tying him to Eiler based through evidence of um, like location. And um, they didn't say that they had like necessarily like fingerprints or anything like that. But at this point in time, they were pretty sure that that Ralph Khalees was a guy that they uh, that he killed. And so they had at this time, and uh, if I'm remembering correctly in this one, I didn't write in my notes, but I'm going to say it anyway because I think I'm remembering correctly with the Ralph Khalees case specifically, is that an officer who was surveying him, so he was he was under full surveillance at this time, had seen Eiler kind of park somewhere and had seen him walk off with a guy. He didn't chase after him or anything because he's under full surveillance at this time, so he's supposed to just be surveying him. And mm-hmm. he, during that time, while... Uh, Eiler was off doing whatever with this guy which we know now that he was killing him um, the officer peeks into Eiler's truck that he left like parked and during that he gathers a bunch of evidence he sees knives he sees basically like a murder kit in the, in the uh, truck and he gathers this evidence and he says, well he doesn't like take it but he he says like i've discovered all these things like this clearly is our guy we've got all this murder equipment in his truck i just saw him walking off with somebody these are the (laughs) these are the items that have been used in these killings we've got bondage things we've got ropes we've got giant knives like these are it's connected it's eiler and so this officer gathers this so he sees all this gets back in his car drives off to the officers and says hey i looked in his truck oh i just hit my mic he says, oh, I looked in his truck, saw all this stuff. Eiler's got to be our guy. So, he gets but a... But, like... Go ahead.
2: But, like, at what point do you just, like, walkie-talkie the police and be like, yo, I'm going to go look for him. Try and catch him in the act, because I just found some stuff. <laughs> he drives all the
1: way back to the police station and is like,
2: this is our guy. Yeah. He's probably murdering someone right, right now. now. Yeah. I
0: just watched him walk into the forest. Yeah, exactly. Oh, jeez. so this is all tied into <laughs> okay. basically Isler saying that he, like, is getting waged psychological warfare and stuff, because this whole kind of event happened and everything. And so his notion gets denied. As he's leaving the courtroom, though, he gets arrested for the murder of Ralph Calise because that body had been found around the same time that the officer saw all this, like, murder gear in his truck. So he gets arrested. <sighs> and he gets held in bond for $1 million. So doesn't mm-hmm. make bond. He's held in jail. And then they have a pretrial hearing. And police are so excited. They go into this pretrial hearing, and they said, hey, we got this evidence. We got our guy. We arrested him. And the judge says okay, yeah, but you got it out of his truck without a proper warrant and just, like, basically sketchy, like, you just saw his truck and, like, went and looked and got it and so you didn't follow proper procedure. While he procedure. was murdering someone? Yeah, so you didn't follow proper procedure, so we cannot use any of that evidence. I mean, Dude, yeah. well,
2: yeah, of course, but that's why I'm saying that homies should have just looked, know, like, visually scoped in and then just been, like, hey, I'm going to go after him. Like, I'm going to just go and, like, check out the direction he walked in and surveillance him and catch him murdering somebody. So that evidence would be valid yeah, at that I point. I agree a
0: thousand percent. Like, and this is what I was talking what? about earlier, where we were going to talk about the fuck-ups of this police department. This was a fuck-up. Like, he knew... That's a big fuck-up. He up. knew this wasn't going to count because he didn't obtain it legally. Like, he knew when he was looking that that wasn't going to count. And so, right. basically, during this pretrial I, hearing... Uh, It's February 5th, like, 1984. All of this evidence gets excluded because it wasn't obtained in a legal way. And so, guess who gets released? Eiler. Jeez. Uh,
2: Dude, okay, so wait. Just for, like, timeline sake here. mm -hmm. So, he murders... Was his name Ralph? You said Ralph? This is Ralph Khalees, yeah. Ralph Khalees. That happens prior to Larry going and filing this complaint. Yes. against the police department. And so now right now we're actually at his hearing and he walks away from his hearing after getting denied and immediately gets arrested for that murder. Yes. is what you were saying. they had already found Ralph's okay.
0: body prior to this hearing about the psychological warfare thing.
2: Okay. Okay, cool. And so I got tied that. To so Ralph the Caluse's murder happened first. Yeah. And got you. Okay, and then freaking dum-dum we gotta come up with a name for him police officer <laughs> dum-dum like he's like guy. that police officer that think? you see on like movies and stuff where you're just like oh my god why did they hire this guy yeah definitely <laughs> uh he needed a partner where was his partner at <laughs>
0: this was his partner a <laughs> smart surveying, partner like, surveying alone right no he should not have been alone because he fucked this case up like they could and if him. he had a
2: partner It was probably one of those things where they're, like, dumb and dumber. So, they put them together because they're just, like, nobody else wants (laughs) to work with them. And so, it was just, like, two police officers that are just, like, bumping into walls and shit. Because they don't know know what they're doing. That's that's what I'm visualizing. And then him just, like, going to the police station and just being, like, so proud of himself. Like, look
1: what I found. But also, can we just say that, like... He brought all this back to the police station, and they weren't like, hey, you idiot, you can't use that. Like, they tried still.
0: No, they were excited. They were like, "Yeah, we got this guy," and they had a pre-trial for him because as he was leaving the courtroom after he tried to get uh, half a million dollars or whatever, uh-huh. they were like, "You're under arrest." And the police officer were like, "Hell yeah, he's under arrest. We got evidence." And then the judge is okay, like, "You can't well fucking then... use this evidence, you idiots!" Like, what police academy did you graduate from?
1: Well, then Mr. <laughs> Dipstick is just one dumb Lego and yeah, a pile no, of dumb Legos, like
0: definitely. So that's I why I said know. kudos to them for like actually investigating, because you know if we had previous cases where that wasn't even happening, they were just disregarding it so like thanks for trying but also like you epically failed (laughs) you failed miserably You like set this guy free
2: (laughs) like us
0: right us uh
2: podcast investigators here even knew better so you know you're really fucking up if you're right you're doing that we're we're just podcast detectives (sighs) but we still know better than to do something like that oh man that's that's yeah. some wild stuff. So I'm
0: the, the book I actually read um, that was recommended by our listener was called Freed to Kill. That's where the title comes come from because he was literally freed because the cops were stupid with getting their evidence. <laughs> so,
2: At this point, I mean, so this is 1984 yeah. that this is happening. So he's already killed a substantial yeah, yeah, yeah. amount of people.
0: And towards the end of his two year spree that he went on. Yeah. So, uh, all the evidence gets excluded, he's released, and he goes about his business, and so now the investigators are basically just, like, scrambling around, like, trying to come up with a case because, like, they're failing right now, and they know they're failing because that was a major fuck-up. So, as Eiler's was released, the murders continued. Two more bodies were recovered. One of these bodies, in particular, is an important one. And so, this body was discovered when a janitor who worked outside or inside I guess, I guess outside and inside, worked at the apartment building that Eiler was staying in. So, he had his dog, and I, I, I was confused on this part, because it said that he had his dog with him, I was like, did he just bring his dog to work, like, or was he there Dude, after my hours? uncle brought his know.
1: dog to work all the time. And sometimes...
0: That's fair. And so, either way, like he had Sometimes in, like, apartment, apartment
2: buildings, him. like, you know how, like, the manager has a place to stay? Maybe it was, like, maybe he had a place to stay at the apartment complex. That's true.
0: That's true, that makes sense. And so uh, he had a dog with him and while he's outside with his dog, his dog basically leads him to a trash can that's outside of Eiler's apartment building. And so the janitor is aware, and this wasn't like a police trained dog, this dog was just a like, dog curious that something smelled over there, yeah. And so he leads him to his trash can and as the janitor gets closer to the trash can, he notices a stench and so he's like, alright, this is not, you know, normal trash stench. And so he calls the police good on you janitor that's the right thing to do does janitor have a name Police get there i don't know the janitor's name he was just told that he was a janitor (laughs) and so he uh calls the police the police get there and when they open this trash can they discover bags of dismembered body parts dude
2: at like so has he just given up now is he like i got arrested and got away with it i'm just gonna stash them at my apartment building now
0: this is the messy stage. This is where we talk about they start getting messy. Mm-hmm. This was Eiler's messy He's stage.
1: He's already been messy. I mean, he has been
0: messy this whole last time, but this was particularly messy because he did it outside just, of just his The police officers just been house. messier. <laughs> true. Very true. And so um, they find this body. And there are these bags with these dismembered body parts in them, and they identify them as, and this makes me so sad, Danny Bridges, who was 15 years old, like <gasps> tiny baby, just 15. Granted, Danny Bridges was a 15-year-old hustler. So I don't know Danny Bridges' story. Um, Doesn't make him any, like, less worthy by any means. But again, going back to the, the kind of work that these people were doing, he was a hustler in the gay community. But he was only 15 years old and was murdered by this monster and dismembered and thrown into his freaking trash can outside of his apartment to be discovered by a janitor and his dog. It's terrible. That is terrible. So... This discovery was the cop's first legal, (laughs) non-circumstantial evidence that they found because it's in Eiler's trash can. So they no longer, like, cannot connect him to this. They're like, clearly he killed him. He's in his trash can. So they end up utilizing comparisons between bridge's body because even though it was dismembered there were still like that torso was still together and stuff so knowing that he stabbed on the abdomen and everything they could still see the wounds and so they they made some comparisons between bridges and the other victims and police discovered a very noticeable pattern they actually stated that had you take a piece taken a piece of paper and laid it over the victim and like took a marker or something and marked all of the stab wounds and, like, kind of recreated the stab wounds from one victim and then placed that on top of the other victim, the wounds would be almost an exact match. Like, they were almost carving copies about, like, where he stabbed and how he stabbed. It was it was crazy. Like, he had a very specific pattern that he did when he was stabbing. And so... it Was he, like, in his bedroom at night, like, practicing his, like... Dude.
1: (laughs) Boxing routine, but, like, it's stabbing.
0: (laughs) His stabbing routine. Like, I gotta hit this spot. This, I don't know. Like, it's crazy that it was so precise that it was able to be, like, matched that well.
2: Probably just became, like, muscle memory,
0: you know? He just, like... Yeah. That's true. He was moving in kind of the same motions each time. And so because they were able to see that there was a distinct pattern in these stab wounds between all these victims, that was then enough to be able to tie all these victims together. And, of course, they did have him on bridges specifically because of the fact that he was found in Eiler's trash can. So now they've got an official body connected to Eiler. They've also got evidence pointing based on, like, patterns of the stab wounds and whatnot connecting Eiler to every other murder. Damn. But they still, even though they're connected and they're very, they're like, yeah, we can say that he most likely was, they still can't 100% prove that, right? Like, patterns, it it is a pattern you can tell they're probably connected, but they can't say 100% still because they didn't. Exactly, yeah. They can't say without a reasonable doubt. And so... He ends up getting arrested for Bridges' murder, and he does get convicted of Bridges' murder. And he gets convicted and is sentenced to die by lethal injection, Holy shit. and he's sentenced to that on July 9th, 1986. So they did not fuck around, they said, you can fuck off, you're a monster of a man, and they sentenced him to die by lethal injection. But Eiler wasn't done yet, of course, because this man just keeps he on going. Did he kill someone in jail? He did not kill anyone in jail, that would be a- so in 1990 he basically starts to face a secondary murder charge and when he faces this charge he tries to bargain with police officers and he basically says hey i will confess to like so many other murders and help you guys out if you will only give me 60 years for this sentence And reduce my death sentence. So essentially he's asking to be reduced from a death penalty and lethal injection to a life imprisonment sentence based on his confessions of these other murders. So he ends up confessing to a torture slaying killing that he had done earlier. Which actually surprised investigators because they had not actually tied... Eiler to this case, it was a man named Stephen Agin, if I'm remembering that correctly, then actually tied it to him. So they, uh, they were like, all right, so you're already in, like, we know that guy was killed, and he was stabbed, but we didn't really connect you to it. So like, thanks for telling us. And he also tells them that Robert David Little, his roommate from way back in the day, who was the chairman of the Department of Library Sciences at Indiana State University, so he tells them that Little was involved. And even though he didn't actually uh, murder anybody, he would snap photos and masturbate while Larry disemboweled his victims. <gasps> Ew. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, so very much like accomplice. So to they murder just here. like
2: immediately went and arrested him, right? Like,
0: so uh, I'll get into that in just a second. Okay, so again, okay. didn't hear anything about John knowing anything or being involved, but little sketchy man little sketchy is yeah. masturbating to and it. so based on his confession he did strike a deal with cops and c- cops reduced his sentence from a death penalty to a 60-year prison sentence based on these confessions what what yeah. no still life I'm still, still life enough. No, what? now it's a 60-year prison sentence 21 years
2: of life in yeah. prison yeah
0: and so they reduce his sentence to 60 years For this particular murder, they reduce it to 60 years, so he's still facing, like, life imprisonment, but the death penalty has been taken off the table. And they go and they arrest Little on murder charges because of this confession by Eiler. That case goes to trial, but in the absence of physical evidence to be able to tell them that he actually did what Eiler said, Little was acquitted of all of his charges on April 17th, 1991.
2: They didn't look for, like, snapshots? The pictures? They didn't.
0: No, they didn't have physical evidence. I don't know if Ailer, like, I don't know if Little didn't keep them or something, but they had a trial. They investigated him. They didn't have enough physical evidence, so he got released. Mm. Damn. And so he asked them to reduce that further. No right so he asked them to reduce that like life thank in prison goodness sentence, essentially because he was sentenced to 60 years and he knew that he was essentially going to like die in prison so he asked them to reduce that further if he tells them that he killed yeah, these you literally people. just
1: said you might admit to 20 more murders and you want less
0: time but state authorities refused they said no they said we already reduced it to 60 years so you don't have to go through lethal injection so you can just rot away in prison because you're a terrible man So he did actually still end up confessing to 21 murders to his attorney during this time, including the four committed with, you know, Little that basically like watched him disembowel his victims. And he's set in jail. Life imprisonment, 60 year sentence. No death sentence, though. So Little still remained at large. He's still out there doing whatever Little's doing, being a sicko. And Larry Eiler, even though he did not receive the death sentence and was not killed by lethal injection, he ended up dying in prison of AIDS on March 6th, 1994.
2: Well, if that's not karma,
0: I don't know what is. That's some fucking karma. Yeah, fuck you, So you fuck assholes. you, Larry Eiler. Came and got Tell him. Kill man.
1: Yeah, he deserves that.
0: Fuck those cops for completely fucking up that entire <laughs> evidence thing, because they could have had him so much sooner and then, like, literally... Danny Bridges wouldn't have had to be murdered and found in a trash can yeah. but he did make his way to prison and he did die in prison so Larry Eiler is with us no more a worthy death as far as Robert David Little I actually don't know if he's still alive to this day could be I'll have to mm. look I didn't investigate that but he was still yeah. out. He got released and acquitted mm. of all of his possible involvements in these without lack of physical evidence. So,
1: I mean, cool. I don't blame them. Like, I totally understand if they didn't find anything, but it just feels like yucky to know that. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Like,
2: oof. yeah. And it feels like they would. They should have ma- investigated that more. Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe they did. Maybe there just wasn't a lot of information on that no. part. But people keep things like that. He didn't take those pictures just to use them once and then trash them. Oh, definitely People not. Keep they were definitely like that, souvenirs. That do things like Sickos, that.
0: Sickos, a thousand they percent. They were somewhere. Especially if he was, like, masturbating to them. He definitely so, kept them for future use. Like. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Like, maybe he stashed them somewhere safe when all this maybe. started going down. Yeah. But he, I, I most definitely am certain that he yeah. kept those, like. Yeah. A thousand percent.
0: So, Yeah. That's the case of Larry Ugh. Eiler, the interstate killer, a sick man Damn. who was very fucking prolific and killed 21 people, possibly more, because we have some John Doe's that were identified. Brutally. Absolutely brutally. brutally, without remorse, over the course of just two years.
2: Yeah, that's, no, that's crazy. And I'm honestly, I'm pissed that they decreased it to 60. Like, yeah, at that point, I've been like, you know what? You go ahead and you tell us all that. And then, you know, tell me. And then, no, nope, sorry, we reduced it by a yeah, one right. year. Okay. <laughs> or, or Or, like, if anything, just take away death penalty and just say, you know what? You're on counts of 21 freaking lives. Like, yeah, they do, do sometimes. It. They're like... You killed eight people. You have eight exactly. life sentences. Right. Well, he killed twenty one, yeah, no, and you know what? he to, like, should get double years plus plus for that fifteen year old because so that was fact, just a just baby, 60, which I agree. is still
0: equivalent, like, equated to a life sentence for him, I guess, based on his age. But still, like, he could have lived for a long time and got out when he was ninety nine. We don't know, and that's just messed up. Yeah, life
1: sentence times twenty one. Like, there you go he could have and you know he had
2: that like he could have had that little hope in the back of his head I don't know you either. know you ain't going anywhere because you will never live up to 21 lives ever
0: exactly exactly so definitely needed a harsher sentence there i mean the death penalty was harsh but the fact that that got reduced like that yeah. to 60 like maybe not reduce it that much <laughs> which he still couldn't i just live that long
2: Want to say? He that had AIDS, but still. I don't think death penalty was too harsh. I'm for it in certain circumstances, like I, you know, there are some where I don't think that it's okay. But confession and
1: you have proof, and you
2: confess to it too, like you know, to get a better deal and stuff. Like there, like there's cases where there's a lot of controversy with them not having the right person and putting them to death, and I get that. Like that's shitty. But he confessed, and then he offered to confess some more. Like, and then you obviously have all the, this evidence that pointed yeah. at him, and it, the body was in his trash can, and, like, there's just too much here. And he confessed. I'm like, nope. Nope, you're done, dude. Goodbye. Lethal injection would have been too easy, honestly, because of the way he brutally murdered these people. And I'm sorry. We all have different opinions on that. I'm not trying to get controversial with my audience, but
0: that's how I feel. Oh, yeah, know, if you kill 21 people, fuck you. You can, you can die.
1: I mean, it's definitely a hard one to think about because it's like, I mean, these people killed all these people in such inhumane ways. So like when you think about it, like lethal injection, yeah, it's not very humane, but like neither were these people. And that's, like, where I get caught up in it because people are – because I feel like one of the big arguments is that it's just, like, not, like, very humane way of, like, killing people or, like, putting them on death row. But it's, like, they deserved it, though. Like, they just murdered 21 people. I don't know.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of argument that it's, like, it's still murdering. So you're, you're saying it's okay to murder this person, but it's not okay for them to murder these people. There's a lot of that that plays into it. Well, if
1: you murdered a bunch of people, you deserve to be murdered. It's one thing if it was, like... An eye
2: for an eye. (laughs) An
1: innocent person. Like, he's not innocent. Yeah. And... and I don't know. Maybe my thoughts will change eventually. I do think that a
2: lot of the debate about the death penalty does fall into, like, the false sentencing that has happened in the past. I think a lot of it's reflected on that. But... I don't know. I don't studdle, study. Studdle. Studdle. I don't study criminology. So I have had to do a little bit of reading on it with like this juvenile delinquency class and stuff. But I don't know a whole lot about it. I just. Those are just my personal thoughts. And he's a monster. And that's a lot of lives. And he brutally. Brutally murdered right. them and then just threw them in, on the side of the road like trash. And, you know, they, they died painfully because, like, those stabbings aren't instant death. Like,
1: Mm-mm. yeah
2: you're getting completely disemboweled or if, even what if he was started by stabbing them in the freaking face? Could you imagine? The
1: pain you feel. Being
2: stabbed in the face and stuff. Like, and we've heard cases, like, on Morbid where people were getting stabbed brutally and like still were living wasn't there one where there was like a girl and they the 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 murderers like were stabbing her and it got really messy and because she didn't die instantly do you guys remember listening to one with me yeah yeah and she didn't die immediately even though like the wounds were like terrible holy shit girl you should have been dead (laughs) but she was like fighting so hard so it's like each and 21 of them like they could have
0: that we know it, of. There
2: could have been ones that, that lived through all of it and then just died on the side, you know? And that's just... I can't even imagine.
0: Yeah. yeah, like, bled out or whatever. Did
2: he have anything to say for himself?
0: Um, I didn't look too much into it, so I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, he, he essentially blamed Little for some of the murders and said he didn't do it. Little did it, but again, that didn't really amount to anything. Um, and... Then he just went to prison and, and died of AIDS. So, like, the fact that he, like, died of AIDS, I don't think he had, like, a last, like, word or anything like that. Because he was in an infirmary. Very, very sick. Right. Well deserved. And passed away that way, so.
2: I, I, I agree. agree. He deserved every bit of that. I'm just sad he didn't live longer and experience the pain. Right. Now, now I'm getting right, a little yeah. morbid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I just asked because, you know, how Colin, he was just like, well, I just don't think I need to be out in the public anymore. I'm dangerous.
0: No shit, Sherlock. Right.
2: Yeah. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, no, and there is a lot more to this. I tried to keep it kind of condensed and short. Um, again for the sake of length as we've tried to do with many of our episodes and so this very easily could have gone into like a two-parter there are a lot more details about the trial there's a lot more details about the murders of course and in each individual victim and kind of what happened with the whole investigation everything this is a very very condensed short version i could have gone on for hours and so if you're looking for more information the sources i use there's a documentary um, on oxygen called mark of a serial killer where they did an episode on larry eiler there's also a great book called freed to kill um check that out and then You guys are interested in learning more about this or reading more about this again we are still planning on trying to do detailed episodes and we can include those in that but you can also check out that book and check out that documentary on oxygen
1: palette cleanser to end the episode the new content for animal crossing dropped early and it's out right now and even though i have to go to bed right now i'm really excited to play it tomorrow oh yes yes
0: if you're an animal crossing fan Get that update! It's gonna be sick. We can cook and farm now. <coughs> oh so
2: man, I don't have. Cassie's gonna get that. On it. I I don't. You know, I just don't know if spending the money to get a switch just to play Animal Crossing is really in my future plans. Uh, I. Haven't even been playing Stardew Valley anymore. You know, I got the guy that I wanted, and then I just stopped playing. So, uh, so the Thor guy—what was his name? Elliot. You know the one, Elliot—the one that lives down by the beach. (laughs) Looks like Thor.
0: Me and Carly started a new oh form on too, and it's going fabulously. With uh, well, yeah, guard. see, I just... I recently lit up the entire I village. just get
2: bored too easily, so I just don't know if it'd be worth spending all that money. I'm just not as big into games and stuff. That's fair. And I would love to tell you guys what I do on my free time. Where I could say, like, I don't have time to play games, but I really don't know what I do in my free time because I sure as hell don't watch <laughs> any of the Netflix things you tell me to watch. He tells me to watch a new Netflix like every week. And I'm like, Yeah, okay. And then I never do. Like Squid Games, I know, the whole world's been watching it. I haven't. I haven't, watched it haven't. Either, I'm like, no, I don't have oh, so I'm good. like, I don't have time for that. And like you've told me about like a thousand other things that I should watch. And instead, I'm just like
1: You know what I, I still haven't have watched from my... the last week, the last episode?
2: You. Hmm. Oh. I you oh yeah, you y'all, y'all need to finish that see i did watch that and i did finish it but i came close to not finishing. it i came close to stopping mid-season
1: okay. because i was it. not yeah, I it.
2: having it and the ending was good so i may continue to watch that toxic gas show as it comes around <laughs> because I, I was getting real heated Perfect. in this one i was just like the whole time but yeah it was worth it so you should finish that but yeah anything else i'm just like i don't be watching it i put on major dad that i started watching at cynthia's this summer and it's so lighthearted and old and it just plays and then i don't know what i'm doing while it's playing i'm just like chilling i don't know don't know what I do with my free time. I sleep a lot. I like naps.
1: Me too. Me and my roommates have just been putting go. on like ambiance <laughs> YouTube videos <laughs> while we do our notes in the evenings and then we just go to bed.
2: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I do homework. I do do that. And I have to cook dinner for the, the creature that lives down the hall. And um, that's my child in case anybody didn't catch that. Uh, and then I do this with you guys that's yeah. that's good times. about it oh and i and i go paint for work that's all i do <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna start knitting though since you crochet i'm gonna okay. knit and then we can combine our powers i'm gonna learn it so anybody with knitting tips feel free to hit me up
0: well, on that note Please go and follow us on Facebook and Instagram so you can receive updates. Visit our website, queerfearspodcast.com, where you can listen to the episodes. You can read my bio, but not the bio of my two (laughs) co-hosts yet because they have yet to write me one. And you can also see our affiliate links. I made an affiliate link page. And so if you hear any kind of advertising during our episode, you can go to that page and see all the links in one place to access them. Really helps us out if you use those links to... uh, utilize those websites. And yeah, I think I think that's it. Did mm-hmm. I miss anything there? I don't think so.
2: I just hope everybody got boozy. I did.
0: I drank tea. <laughs> tea and crochet. Oh, Perfect. Lovely. All right. Well, on that note, remember, there's always going to be jerks out in this world murdering people for no fucking reason. But stay queer and never live in fear. Bye guys. Bye. Bye.